the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. So that that was a thought in our minds, like something gruesome happened to her. We obviously we want her to be alive, but at this point, that's probably not the case. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting so far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen, and I am sick of this distancing, and I want to be with both of you desperately. I know. We were almost ready to do a socially distant in-person recording today, but then Billy was around a lot of people on Friday, so we opted to wait. We'll probably wait another two weeks, safety first, but we did intend to start reigniting the in-person chemistry, even if we can't share glasses and pizza like we normally would. I know. We're almost there. Um, Billy, what day is it today? It's National Garbage Man Day. Oh. And that was the first thing I ever wanted to be growing up, I remember. Three years old, I wanted to be a garbage man because you would see them come to your house in this big giant truck, and it was just the coolest thing. So... I feel like every boy wants to be a garbage man at some point in their young life. Mm -hmm. Probably for that reason. Are there any other good days, Billy? Or is that just, that's the end all be all? No, I stopped at that one. That was, you know, after after that, I I was done. Who needs them? Yeah. One is fine. All right. Well, that's easy. After the episode, if you want to stick around for Killing Time, we are going to talk about Robert Fuller, who was a 24-year-old black man that was found hanging from a tree in front of the city hall in Palmdale, California. Billy has been in Palmdale for the past um, few days investigating the entire situation. So he's going to kind of give us a download on what he's experienced and kind of dive into that situation. So stick around after the show for that. Um, But for now, uh, let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. There are three ideas that we reference quite frequently here on The First Degree. Number one is this idea of the cosmic shuffling of the deck the randomness of life, and sometimes the randomness of crimes and who is targeted. Number two is this need that human beings have for reason, for an explanation. It's as though if we had an explanation for why something terrible happened, we might feel better about it, which is honestly rarely the case. And number three, and the most important of these, is that no matter how safe we feel, whether it be behind locked doors, behind security systems, or even restraining orders, If somebody wants to kill you badly enough, they'll find a way. And none of the aforementioned things can do much in the way of protecting you. And somehow, today's case is at the intersection of all three of these concepts. So we're going back a year and a half to October of 2018. Girls Like You by Maroon 5 and Cardi B were topping the charts and A Star is Born was playing in theaters. 
And today's case takes us to Barron, Wisconsin, which is a quaint town and home to approximately a thousand residents. Barron seems like the perfect, picturesque, and rural place to settle down and have a family. And 56-year-old James Kloss and 46-year-old Denise Kloss had planted their roots in Barron to raise their 13-year-old daughter, Jamie. On the evening of October 14, 2018, James and his wife Denise were enjoying a routine Sunday night. They're winding down and their daughter Jamie was in bed because she had school the next morning. When it was time for bed, they turned off the lights, locked the doors, and retreated into their beds. It was in the early morning hours of October 15th when a car slowly pulled into the driveway of the Kloss home. The Kloss family first woke up when they heard the sound of their dog barking. Then they realized that there was an unfamiliar vehicle in their driveway. Then the banging on the door started. Then there was the sound of a man screaming. Terrified, Denise grabbed Jamie and retreated to the bathroom. James Kloss approached the front door, and outside there was a man in a black jacket and a ski mask, and he was brandishing a shotgun. The stranger yelled, Open the fucking door! James looked through the front door's small glass window and replied, Show me your badge. Then, from inside the bathroom, Jamie and Denise heard a terrifyingly loud gunshot. Shaking in fear, Denise fumbled with her phone to call 911 as the bathroom door splintered as it was being broken down. that anything the caller says during this very frantic 911 call is unintelligible. But one thing's very clear, something horrifying was taking place at this home. So once the intruder was inside the bathroom, he made Denise tie Jamie up and put duct tape over her daughter's mouth. Then he shot and killed Denise and forced Jamie out of the house as they slipped on the blood pooling in the home's entryway. On the heels of the 911 call, the Barron County Sheriff's were dispatched to the home immediately. And when police arrived, they had no idea what they were walking into. Based on the fact that there were no murders in Barron in 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014, and 2013, and so on and so forth, I'll tell you that they definitely weren't expecting to walk into a double homicide. So when they pulled up to the home, there were no outside lights on at the residence. And from outside, they cannot hear any screaming or signs of distress consistent with what was heard on the 911 call. So the officer shined his flashlight towards the front door, but he had difficulty seeing through the glass storm door due to it having heavy condensation on it. But he noticed that the wooden inside door was open. Open door. So a door being ajar in front of a black house would be troubling on its own. But all this was compounded by the fact that there was a huge hole from a shotgun blast through the front door. 
So this was the first glimpse that law enforcement got into the severity of the situation. And it was about to get worse. Somebody's down. Somebody's down. Sheriff's office! Sheriff's office! Just beyond the door, on the floor, the officer could see a pair of legs in the entryway. It was the body of a man, soon identified as James Kloss, lying in a pool of blood with a fatal gunshot blast to his face. There was blood everywhere, and a spent gunshot shell on the floor next to him. Now in this situation, if you were a responding officer, your brain would be going a million miles a second grasping for an explanation for what you're seeing. Maybe this man had decided to take his own life. Suicide. Sheriff's office! You don't know that. There were several voices. Sheriff's office! Who's inside? Watch our asses, John. Yep. Get on the radio. Let them know. That burn trail. 329 burn. Possible suicide. If you want to let Baron PD swing out here as well. But as police moved through the house, they realized that would not be the case. There's no, I don't see a gun, guys, so let's not write it off as a suicide. Oh. And have EMS stage. Yeah, you, wanna, you want him to cover this door? I mean, you go have through. EMS stage. Okay. Sheriff's office, if you're inside, announce! Yeah. I did not see a gun. The police clear each room, not knowing what they'll find. And there was no weapon next to James's body, so the fear was that the perpetrator could still be in the home, armed and ready to kill again. I saw one spent shotgun shell next to this guy's right foot. The hallway one must have been spent as well. We're still missing a gun? We're missing a lot. Yep, um, I'm going to stand here until... You gotta have them advise through a three three oh one one male down deceased. Still have the house to clear. Several rounds spent. Three seventeen. I believe we're gonna need ERT. The store has been kicked in. It looks like the male that's down answered the door. I don't know if we're missing somebody or not from the scene. It says Kloss on the box and then there's an ID inside. Um, Did we all go code here? Okay, who's this? Yes. Uh, does one of us want to run back, download, and see what Just a quick guess would be this is the homeowner or the resident dead. We might be missing our suspect. I don't know. The police enter the basement and they find the Kloss family dog trembling in fear behind the washer dryer. They move around the house and they approach the bathroom and observe that the door had been forcefully shouldered in. Once inside, they look in the bathtub and discover the body of Denise Kloss. She, too, was dead from a single gunshot blast to the head. There was no weapon near Denise's body either, and this was now a double homicide. And based on preliminary characteristics at the scene, it seemed like two people had been violently ambushed in the middle of the night. Responding officers called for backup, and the scene is cordoned off with yellow crime scene tape. And eventually the police realize that there is a bedroom in the house that seems to be for a young girl. But clearly, there are no children present at the scene. And that's when this already horrific and unnerving situation gets even worse when they realize that this dead couple has a 13-year-old daughter named Jamie. And Jamie was missing. Within 24 hours, news of this case was all Wisconsin residents wanted to talk about. 
An Amber Alert for Jamie was issued, which expanded the news coverage of the story, and soon, Jamie's face was all over the national news. True crime-obsessed individuals everywhere were trading details about the double murder of James and Denise Kloss, and were theorizing and speculating as to what might have happened to Jamie. And one of these true crime-obsessed fans who was fascinated by this case from the jump is our first-degree Kendra Johnson. And she really locked into this story. I was getting ready in the morning. There was an Amber Alert for, like, you know, close to home. So I got into work and was talking to my coworker about it and was like, where was Jamie? Oh, my God. I don't know anything about this. So then we started Googling it and reading up on what was going on. And um, and that just continued. Monday through Friday, we were trying to figure out what was going on, what the updates were. Myself and a coworker actually Googled this case nearly every day to figure out what was going on. And we were just so obsessed. One, because it was like such a sad story. Any young child that gets abducted or is missing is just like devastating. But two, because it was so close to home. The search for Jamie started with a massive ground search. With 100 volunteers who searched the immediate area for clues... But much of Barron is wilderness, so 100 people can only take you so far. But in the following days, the number climbed to more than 2,000, all who were committed to finding Jamie and bring her home. And behind the scenes, extended members of the Kloss family were beside themselves. Who would want to kill James and Denise, and who would want to abduct this sweet little girl? The only comfort the family had was that the community was really banding together to help find Jamie. Missing persons flyers were being posted everywhere, including surrounding cities and towns. Jamie's classmates at school were really struggling to understand why their friend was just no longer showing up at school. The Wisconsin Department of Justice stepped in, and they sent therapists, comfort dogs, and extra school resources to her school to help all of the kids cope through the situation. And the FBI soon joined in the search and offered the Barron County Sheriff's Department extra resources. Law enforcement spoke to Jamie's family and asked them if the Klosses had any known enemies or if there was any reason someone may have wanted to hurt any one of them. But there was absolutely nothing nefarious to be seen in the life of the Kloss family. A number of family members had seen James, Denise, and Jamie on that Sunday afternoon, hours before this murder had occurred, and this was at a family birthday party. No one was behaving strangely. No one was acting paranoid or in any sort of way to indicate that they were afraid for their lives. Jamie's grandfather said that on that day, Jamie was quiet and sweet as per usual. He then went on to call her, quote unquote, thoughtful, and said that Jamie had brought little gifts for everyone to the party that day. Meanwhile, the public remained fixated on this case. And theories about what occurred started being shared amongst online chat forums like WebSleuth and Reddit. Some ill-informed cynics mused over the possibility that perhaps Jamie herself could be involved. Had she plotted these murders and escaped with an older boy? And the police adamantly refuted this, but it still didn't stop the speculation. And those who were even more cynical assumed that Jamie was dead, knowing that it's extremely rare for children to survive stranger abductions, especially one as horrific as this, where murder was also involved. To Jamie's remaining family, all of these prospects were horrific. Well, I know one gruesome thought that came into mind, they were going to do the large search throughout the fields. Um, and it was it was a worry that 
in cases similar to this, that they would have dumped her somewhere. So that, that was a thought in our minds, like something gruesome happened to her. We obviously, we want her to be alive, but at this point, that's probably not the case. We thought, you know, the worst was that they were going to find her body in like a field. It was almost as if like this had to have been maybe like, I don't know, gang or drug related the way it was done. It just, it was cold blooded. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. It was disturbing. No way did I think that it wasn't in some way, like I said, gang, drug, maybe even money. I don't know. Who knows? Someone that's done it before. Never did I think the things that did occur would have been the case. So Denise and James are both employed by the Jenny O Company, who makes ground turkey. And in support of the effort to find Jamie, the company donated $25,000 to be offered as a reward for anyone providing information leading to Jamie's safe return. And a tip line was also set up. So the police receive a tip that a girl who resembled Jamie was spotted with two men at a Miami gas station, which is a 25-hour drive from Barron. Surveillance footage from the Sunflex station was then sent to the FBI. The men, who appeared to be in their 30s, were driving a black Ford Explorer with Wisconsin license plates. They both had beards and were pretty well-dressed. So did these men have Jamie? And if so, why did they take her to Miami? Hope was dashed after the men were tracked down, interviewed, and subsequently cleared. The girl who had been with them was not Jamie Gloss. In total, investigators received over 1,000 tips, and 800 of them were investigated. But they were still no closer to finding Jamie Kloss than they were the first day that she went missing. So the days turned into weeks and then turned into months. And investigators pursued anything and everything that they could. Things arbitrary as discussions being overheard in bars, tidbits of information from family, and an exhaustive effort to find and sift through surveillance footage from businesses across the state. Even an astrologer weighed in on what he thought happened, telling the sheriff's department that, quote, Jamie was dead in a lake or pond near her home and even suggested a generic first name of a potential suspect. So investigators tracked down a Barron County sex offender with that same name in search nearby bodies of water. But as was the case again and again in this investigation, they turned up absolutely nothing that revealed where Jamie was. So by this point, it had been 88 days since Jamie's disappearance. 88 days for the grim reality to set in day after day after day. This reality that they likely will never see Jamie alive again. But that was all about to change on January 10th of 2019. Early that morning, a woman was out walking her dog in the small town of Gordon, Wisconsin, which is about 70 miles from Barron. And she saw a figure walking towards her. It was 20 degrees and the girl was only wearing a sweatshirt and some leggings. Her strawberry blonde hair was matted. She was wearing a dirty pair of New Balance tennis shoes that were way too big for her. County 911. Hi. I have um, a young lady at my house right now, and she just says her name is Jamie Cloth. Okay, what's your address? 14. It's in Gordon, Wisconsin. Okay, have you seen her photo, ma'am? Yes, it is her. I 100% think it is her. Are you okay? 100%. Does it look like she's going to run? No. She's sitting down. She's relaxing. Okay, hang on just a second. Okay, did she show up walking? Yeah, a neighbor just walked up with her to our house and asked us to call 911. Okay, hang on just a second. Are you cold? Do you need a blanket or anything? Okay. 
And is the neighbor that walked her up, is she still there? Yes, she is. I was walking my dog, and we were almost home, and she was walking towards me crying, saying, you've got to help me, you've got to help me. Okay. So I didn't want to go into my cabin because it's too close to Patterson's house. And she said her, her name is Janie Claus? Yep. And when I walked into this house, they recognized her immediately from Portland. Jamie, do you know when he's going to come back? She thought he was going to come back home at midnight. Who is, who is going to come back? What, his name is Jake Patterson. Jake Thomas Patterson, she says. Okay, hang on. And apparently his house is two doors down from our cabin. So we're kind of scared because he might come. Yep. So if the cops could get here soon, we would like to. I have, um, I have many deputies headed that way. I'm going to keep you on the line. Okay. And she said, I am Jamie Claus. Yes. She said, he killed my parents. I want to go home. Help me. And what was the male's name? Jake. Is it Jake? Jake Patterson? Jake Patterson. And she said Jake, he killed her parents and she wants to go home? Yes. Jake Patterson. He was a 22-year-old man that lived in a cabin down the road. And it dawns on these women that if Jamie had escaped when Jake wasn't home, he could be returning any minute. And remember, this man is likely the person who ripped Jamie out of her home after murdering her parents in cold blood. And they could all be in real danger, and the police needed to get there immediately. She didn't know where she was. When I saw her, she was saying, where am I, where am I? And I okay. said, you're in Wisconsin. And did she say he's gone right now? Yes. Are they at a cabin? Well, I think it's, uh, he lives there year-round. And he's supposed to be back at midnight? Okay, hang on. Jeannie, you there? Yes. Okay. I've got multiple deputies headed out there, so I just want you to stay on the line with me, okay? Okay. Does she seem like she's going to need medical attention at all? I, I would think yes. Okay. I, I, I was a social worker for 30 years. So I yep. Would, yes. Okay, what, what do you think is her medical condition right now? Well, I think shock and cold and okay. shock. Ma'am, my yes. deputy, he just wants you to lock the doors. Okay, they would like us to lock the doors and not open the doors for anybody but them. Yep. And saying that he's going to be home at midnight is not a for sure thing. Okay. He doesn't know where he went or what he does. Right. Police rush to the home. Sirens blaring. And while I don't know what their thought processes were at the time, I can speculate. If it were me, I'd be thinking something like, holy shit, Jamie Claus is alive. But wait, I shouldn't be too excited. This has to be a hoax. She can't really be okay after missing for almost three months, can she? Because it is just wild. This is a case people are following vigilantly every single day. And hope was all but gone when this call to the police department came in. As Jake's two neighbors sat with Jamie and waited for the police to arrive, they told the little girl how the entire world had been trying to find her, how people wore green, her favorite color, in her honor. 
Okay, is was there a deputy that knocked on the door, or you just saw him in the driveway? They're in the house. The cops are in the house. Oh, they're in there with you? Yeah, they just came in. Okay, Jeannie, perfect. Then I can let you go as long as the deputies are with you guys. Okay. Okay, thank you. Good job. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. When the police finally did arrive, it was confirmed that this girl was, in fact, Jamie Kloss. And as luck would have it, Jake Patterson would return in his car just a few minutes after the police arrived. And they pulled him over, meaning the police pulled Jake over. And as soon as Jake got out of the car, he said, you got me. They then took Jake into custody. And the world was about to find out what had happened to Jamie Kloss and who was responsible. For 88 days, I have stood before you and said we would work tirelessly to bring Jamie Kloss home. Today, I can report we have done just that. At this moment, Jamie is being in the comforting embrace of law enforcement as the investigation in her three-month ordeal ensues. 88 days ago, we stood before you speaking about the unthinkable tragedy and asked you to help us find 13-year-old Jamie Kloss. For 88 days, you called in tips, brought us food, searched arm-in-arm with us, wrote us notes, and never gave up hope. As the days and weeks wore on, you still continued to call. Law enforcement locally and across the country continued to comb through over 3,500 tips, and the family never gave up hope. Last night, our collective promise was fulfilled with Jamie's safe recovery. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on TheRealReal.com. TheRealReal is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. News that Jamie had been found alive was not just an incredible sigh of relief to Jamie's family members, but it felt like a victory for everyone living in Wisconsin. People were eating, breathing, and sleeping this case. It's all people could talk about. And the public was on the edge of their seats waiting for the news to release the name of the man who had been taken into custody for murdering Denise and James Kloss and for kidnapping little Jamie. And one of those people waiting on bated breath was our first degree Kendra. I remember it so vividly that entire day. We were actually out at dinner um, at a restaurant that's got, you know, TVs around. So it wasn't super swanky, but um, that was on the TV within, I'd say, 15 minutes of sitting down. All of the media saying that she was found and she was alive. And we were just jumping for joy. I mean, that was, like I said, the highlight of the start of the year. I mean, that was what, January 10th, 10 days into the year. And she was found and she was alive. It's like, holy crap, this is amazing. And on the initial news report about Jamie's recovery, the sheriff said that he'll announce the name of the suspect the following day. We were so thrilled that they found her and that there was going to be a press release the next day. I got to work early. We were like prepared for it. And I think there was even one more co-worker that stood down there and was watching with us. The Barron County Sheriff, he was leading the press conference and he was saying something about the address and something about that, um, the road name hit me funny. And I just, I started getting some anxiety. I was in, I was in my head thinking, I feel like I've heard this road before. Um, it didn't sit right. And my coworker had turned back and said, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I feel like I know this. I feel like something is missing and I know something, but I just can't put my finger on it. And, and that's, I think that's when it all kind of like set in. Well, it, obviously it was when it set in, I knew exactly who it was once they started giving out the details. My deputies uh, responded in uh, mass immediately and identified Jamie as the uh, person that uh, approached the neighbor, took uh, control of her and possession of her and put her in uh, safekeeping. And a short time later, one of my patrol sergeants uh, happened to find a vehicle that matched the description that Jamie gave my deputies of the suspect and pulled the vehicle over and uh, took the suspect in custody at that time. That suspect is Jake. Thomas Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. 
He is 21 years old from Gordon, Wisconsin. He is currently being held on two counts of first-degree intentional homicide for the murder of Jamie's parents and one count of kidnapping. Um, they, they put his photo up on the screen for everyone to see, and it was Jake Patterson. Um, and he's a cousin-in-law of mine. I had my phone in my hand, and as soon as they said his name, my husband texted me and was like, holy you know what and it just it just I, I can't even put words together how I felt in that moment I was sick to my stomach I I think honestly I was probably sweating um white as a ghost and was like holy shit holy shit holy shit like that's all I could form uh my two co-workers were looking at me like Okay, we know this is like a pretty big case, but like, what's going on? Um, and it, I like, I, I cried, but I, I didn't cry like tears of sadness. I was so angry and just, I mean, how do you, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was just like, I was furious. It, it was so hard to wrap my head around. One, because I, the two coworkers I was watching the press conference with were incredible. I was like, first off, here's the deal. Second off, let's just keep this quiet. Like, I don't need this going around the office. Not that it was like shameful. But I just didn't want to talk about it. I did leave that day. Uh, I went home and just wanted to see where my husband's headset was. I mean, yes, I have close relations, but like he grew up with him. Like how was he doing was kind of like my worry in that moment. He was pissed. I mean, for lack of a better word, he was beyond words, just furious. Like we said, the man's name was Jake Patterson. Who was he? What was his connection to the Kloss family? Why would he murder this little girl's parents and abduct her? Jake had no criminal history, and at a glance, nothing in his life or in his family background could explain why he had done such a terrible and unthinkable thing. So luckily, once police had Jake in an interrogation room, he started talking. Meanwhile, Jamie was reunited with her family, and though traumatized, she slowly started to reveal what had happened the night her parents were murdered as well as what she had experienced over the course of 88 days. And here's what the police learned from both of them. When police asked Jake how he had met Jamie, he told them, quote, I didn't. I just fucking saw her. And Jake had decided to kidnap Jamie when he was driving behind a school bus one day. When the bus stopped, Jake stopped too. And he watched little Jamie walk out of her house and across the lawn and board the bus one morning before school. He confessed that the moment he saw her, he decided that he was going to abduct her. And once he made that decision, he started making plans. He shaved his head and his face to avoid leaving DNA behind. He also made some superficial changes to his car to avoid identification. And he told the police that he had gone to the class home two different times and he chickened out. And it was on his third trip that he actually went through with his plan. He also said that if it hadn't been Jamie he picked to abduct, it would have been somebody else. I mean, he confessed nearly right away and just to hear him say, like, if it 
wasn't her, it was going to be another one, was just like, what? Like, and that he's had these thoughts for two years. I mean, those were two years that I had been around and I'm like, who are you? I really have no idea what was going through his head. I couldn't even speculate. It just baffles me. The family was pretty tight-lipped about everything, and they still are to this day. Jake had enlisted in the Marines after high school and had been discharged early. And when asked for comment, the Marines would only say that Jake was prematurely discharged because the, quote, character of his service was incongruent with Marine Corps' expectations and standards. So it sounds like behavioral issues. He then worked odd jobs but had trouble holding them down. And it's during this time that he began to entertain fantasies about taking a little girl. He also noted that he prefers young girls to those his own age. The night of the abduction, Jamie was terrified. When they arrived in Gordon at Jake's cabin, Jake burned her clothes and dressed Jamie in his clothes. Then he laid her out on the bed. He said she fell asleep, and he felt sick about what he had done, so he slept on the couch. The following day, Jamie wouldn't eat or drink, and this persisted for a week. Jake would make Jamie watch TV with him. He would make her play board games with him. He even made her play badminton before it got too cold outside. And Jake's house was remote enough where he wasn't under any type of magnifying glass. And he lived alone, so no one was monitoring any changes to his behavior. Jake offered Jamie weed and alcohol at various points of her captivity, and she always said no. Jake said that he would talk to Jamie. What about? And according to the court, he said, we would just talk about anything. The only thing we didn't talk about was, like, the situation we were in. Like, I never mentioned it or anything. She talked about her parents as if they were still alive. And I couldn't tell her that they weren't. And he said he didn't sexually assault Jamie. He said he felt too guilty. Right. And Jake made her sleep under a twin bed in the cabin surrounded by weighted bins. And he made her do this whenever he had company or whenever he left the house. So he would threaten her and he yelled at her and he once hit her with a window blind cleaner. So he completely had her condition. She was doing everything he said. The holidays happened within this time frame. And Jake was attending and hosting gatherings at his house and he was going out quite a bit. And he was acting as if nothing had changed. And that's one of the most disturbing aspects of his behavior. So the last time Kendra actually saw Jake Patterson was on Christmas Eve. And remember, it was over Christmas between October and January that Jamie was still missing, meaning Jamie was back at Jake's house while he was celebrating Christmas with his family. I had been with my husband for now it's going to be over five years. So I had seen Jake. His dad is incredible. His dad has four sisters who are all just incredible. The Patterson grandparents are amazing. There was always family gatherings and holiday parties. And so I, I have seen him or had seen him numerous times. And it was actually like, I'm, I'm shaking. Cause it just, this makes me so just, I don't know, sick. 
And by all accounts, it seemed like Jake was enjoying his Christmas Eve. It's kind of the same thing we did every holiday. Um, food was made at the Patterson's grandparents' house. It was a little bit quieter because this was the first Christmas where Grandma Patterson was no longer with us. So I didn't think anything of it. He, he was his normal self, quiet. It wasn't like he was sitting in a corner by himself. I mean, he was he was sitting with the group and we're all just kind of like sitting around, having a cocktail. I'd hugged him on Christmas Eve. And like thinking back, like she was under his bed. Like, I just, I can't. When we were leaving the Christmas Eve festivities, I remember um, we had parked next to this car. Just the car was giving me the creeps, if I'm being real. Like, I, I don't know what it was about that car. I'd never seen it before. It seemed off. And it was his car. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but walking by, I, and I still feel it when I think about that moment, and I walked by that car, I get the chills. Something was just off about that car. I haven't really admitted this to anyone in the family. Um, but once I knew he did it, and I knew the severity of the case, I felt that I had to do something. So I called the hotline and I told them because I didn't think they knew where he was Christmas Eve. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but I felt like I had to tell them. And it didn't sound like they did. I, I just, I had to say it. I had I had to get it off my chest. And Jake told the police that he never believed that Jamie would escape because she was totally petrified of him. Jake initially threatened to kill her if she made noise or tried to escape. And after two weeks had passed after the murders, Jake believed that he was in the clear and he was pretty much going to get away with this. Um, and I do remember, you know, reading that he had gotten away with it. So at that point, I don't know. If if I were to put myself in his shoes, thought-wise, thought like, that was just the way life was going to be. That was it. He's he thought he won. In the interrogation room, when he was being questioned by police, Jake told them that he was relying on mind control and quote unquote mind games to keep Jamie in line while she was in his custody. And at one point he said he was really drunk and feeling guilty. So he let Jamie write a letter to her aunt to let her family know that she was alive. And he said that he planned to drop the letter off, but he never sent it. They asked Jake if he ever tried to change Jamie's appearance, and he said he tried to cut her hair once, but she cried, and she said that she didn't want him to, so he didn't. Jake never put extra locks on the windows or the doors, and the first reason for this is he wanted to build up trust with Jamie and eventually just let her live freely around the house and be compliant. And the second reason was that Jake's father visited him at the cabin every Saturday, and during his visits, he had no idea that his son was hiding a little girl under his bed, just out of sight. So I bet you're wondering what Jake's long-term plan was. Well, the short answer is, he didn't really have one. He said he acted, quote, pretty impulsive-ish, saying he thought he'd get a job, rent an apartment, and that he didn't think about Jamie actually ever leaving. 
He said, quote, I'm really good at just not thinking about stuff. He also explained how he worked himself up to and ultimately justified killing Jamie's parents. He said that he convinced himself it's them or me. And that he planned to shoot anyone in his way once he decided he wanted to take Jamie. He said that before he shot Denise Kloss. He pointed the gun at her and, quote, just shot it like right in the head. I didn't even look when I did it. I looked away. So how did a seemingly normal 22-year-old guy who wanted to serve our country end up committing one of the most violent, seemingly random and bizarre cases in recent times? Let's go back to the beginning and take a look. According to the Associated Press, Jake Thomas Patterson grew up in Gordon, a sprawling township of 645 people tucked into the snowy evergreen forests about 35 miles south of Lake Superior. It's wild country. Roadside signs admonish motorists to share the pavement with ATVs. And the few neighbors who knew Patterson's family say he grew up in a cabin in a remote development that's a mix of seasonal and year-round homes about 10 miles outside Gordon proper. Patterson's high school teachers barely remember the now 21-year-old man who graduated only three years prior and say that they didn't realize he even still lived in the area. According to court records, Jake's parents divorced in 2008, and a neighbor named Daphne told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that the parents moved away, but that Jake Patterson and his older brother Eric continued to stay in the cabin. She then said that she and her husband once caught them siphoning gas from cars in the neighborhood. Another neighbor, Patricia Osborne, told the Minneapolis Star Tribune that the brothers often got into trouble. So Jake graduated from Northwood High School in 2015. His school was a single building that housed pre-K through 12th grade, and he was a member of the Quiz Bowl team. And the Journal Sentinel reported that he wrote in his school yearbook about his plan to join the U.S. Marine Corps following graduation. Jake had zero online or social media presence, and he had been living alone in the family cabin. Following Jamie's escape, Jake Patterson was indicted on two counts of first-degree intentional homicide, one count of kidnapping, and one count of armed robbery. He ultimately pleaded guilty, and he said his decision to do this was to spare Jamie and the Kloss family the pain of a trial. He also didn't ask for a deal. He just wanted to accept his punishment. His his dad, um, his brother... I believe his sister and his mom were all there. And, you know, his parents are divorced. Um, not that they're not civil, but they were there. I think they're all sitting together from what I saw. Um, but his dad, Pat, is just like the most amazing guy I, I think I've ever met. And not only was he trying to be there for his son, but, the you know, he wanted to give a letter to Jamie's family and he would just the empathy he had for them was just incredible. Jamie attended the plea hearing. After Jake stated his plea, he was escorted from the courtroom, looked at Jamie and said, bye, Jamie. At Jake's sentencing hearing, then the family was given the opportunity to give victim impact statements. Go ahead, Ms. Allen. To the defendant, on the morning of October 15th, 2018, I received the worst phone call one could get. The lives of my baby sister Denise and her husband Jim 
were brutally taken and their only daughter, Jamie, my beloved niece, was missing. I felt only beloved daughter. I spent these days and sleepless nights trying to figure out why and how you could so brutally take these lives and kidnap Jamie in a, such a horrific way. It was senseless to me. Mother, Jamie has lost. Jamie lost everything. She must start over, but she has her loving family behind her. Two people, Denise and Jim, we love with all our hearts, were taken from us. We had to go through the motions of planning their funeral without getting the chance to respectfully mourn their loss. Their baby girl was still out there somewhere. To the defendant, you have taken so much away from myself and my family. The horrifying murder of my sister and brother-in-law. Knowing what my sister went through the last minutes of her life, trying to protect Jamie, this doesn't leave my mind. I have terrible nightmares. Jamie was my sister Denise's whole world. I can't imagine how scared she was. She no longer has her home, her bedroom, her belongings. All that stuff is just bad memories to her. You have taken all that and more. It can't be replaced. She lives in fear, doesn't have a normal 13-year-old life. Judge, I come in front of you today to ask that you sentence the defendant to the max sentence at each count in this case. Thank you. Jamie didn't attend the sentencing, but she wrote a letter for her attorney to read. Judge, this is the statement of Jamie Kloss. Okay. Last October, Jake Patterson took a lot of things that I love away from me. It makes me the most sad that he took away my mom and my dad. I loved my mom and dad very much. And they loved me very much. They did all they could to make me happy and protect me. He took them away from me forever. I felt safe in my home and I loved my room and all of my belongings. He took all of that too. I don't want to even see my home or my stuff because of the memory of that night. My parents and my home were the most important things in my life. He took them away from me in a way that will always leave me with a horrifying memory. I have to have an alarm in the house now just so I can sleep. I used to love to go out with my friends. I loved to go to school. I loved to do dance. He took all of those things away from me too. It's too hard for me to go out in public. I get scared and I get anxious. These are just ordinary things that anyone like me should be able to do, but I can't because he took them away from me. But there are some things that Jake Patterson can never take from me. He can't take my freedom. He thought that he could own me, but he was wrong. I was smarter. I watched his routine and I took back my freedom. I will always have my freedom and he will not. Jake Patterson can never take away my courage. He thought he, control, he could control me, but he couldn't. I feel like what he did is what a coward would do. I was brave, and he was not. He can never take away my spirit. He thought that he could make me like him, but he was wrong. 
He can't ever change me or take away who I am. He can't stop me from being happy and moving forward with my life. I will go on to do great things in my life, and he will not. Jake Patterson will never have any power over me. I feel like I have some power over him because I get to tell the judge what I think should happen to him. He stole my parents from me. He stole almost everything I loved from me. For 88 days, he tried to steal me, and he didn't care who he hurt or who he killed to do that. He should stay locked up forever. Judge, those are the words of Jamie Kloss, and it's been my privilege to deliver them to you. Thank you. And then the judge handed down a sentence. Mr. Patterson, not only were you a danger to the Kloss family, you are an extreme danger to the public in general. There is no doubt in my mind that you are one of the most dangerous men to ever walk on this planet. There is talk of your remorse, but as the agent points out in the PSI, there's a difference between regret and remorse. Regret means you're sorry that you're caught. Remorse means you have empathy for the victims. I have no doubt that you have regret, and I have no doubt that you have no remorse. The overriding factor in this sentencing is the protection of the public. The rest of the public deserves liberty and justice. You have had long-term thoughts prior to committing these crimes, including kidnapping multiple girls, killing multiple families, and keeping a young girl prisoner. You are the embodiment of evil, and the public can only be safe if you are incarcerated until you die. Jake Patterson was given two life sentences for the murders of Denise and for James. He was given 40 years for kidnapping Jamie. And while the judge made his statement, he brought up an excellent point. Jake did not seem remorseful. I don't know. You, I would have assumed that he would have shown remorse when at trial, and I didn't see any. I heard it multiple times you know, from friends and let them rot. I'm, I'm fighting an internal battle of telling you and like, because I don't know if he's ever really said it out loud to the family. So when Kendra says he, she's talking about her husband and she's married into the Patterson family via her husband. Her husband is first cousins with Jake. You know, he was like, give him the death sentence. And that shocked me. But, I mean, I understand where he was coming from. As we know, Jake was not the only person in this situation to receive a life sentence. Jamie was given a life sentence without her parents. I mean, she will never forget the horrible memories that are seared into her brain from the night that this happened and the 88 days that followed. Then, of course, every single friend, family member, and colleague of both James and Denise Kloss will never see them again. James and Denise Kloss will never get to see their daughter grown up. It's a travesty all around to everybody who knew this family. Then there's also Jake's family, who are now cursed with this reality that the son they raised murdered two innocent strangers and abducted a little girl. You know, after the press release, I remember 
going home and not being able to help myself when it came to social media and reading people's comments about it and just the way people drug the Patterson name through the mud was just so devastating because they just, they didn't know. And I think it was hard because I am so close to the, to the case and to the family and it, it just rocked me because I, I was so mad that everyone was saying these terrible things about his dad and his family and that they should all die. And it was just like blamed the family instantly and made comments like, how can you live with yourself when your son's done something like this? And it's just, they were some of the best parents. He had such a great family upbringing. There's no way that this stemmed from family. No way. I mean, you're ruining their lives. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, they couldn't live a normal life. And they're still struggling to get back to normal. It's devastating. I brought up that media was pretty scary right after. So they were following us, following the family, camping outside of aunts and uncles' houses. And and I think that's why, like I said, the family is just pretty tight-lipped and they just don't want to talk about it. Like, yeah, there's a lot of shame involved. And also, like, this was one of the biggest cases in our area, but also, like, nationally. So, I mean, there are multiple reasons that they wanted to stay quiet, but I can understand the shame side. And by all accounts, Jake's family was dragged in the media. And again, there's no doubt that no one has suffered more than Jamie and the Kloss family on the heels of Jake's crimes. But often, families of perpetrators are unfairly punished in the wake of homicides like this. And for example, this year in January, the Daily Mail released an article with the following headline, quote, exclusive, mother of the man who abducted Jamie Kloss and killed her parents is seen back at work driving a school bus as she struggles to rebuild her shattered life a year after the teen's escape and her son's arrest. Jake's mom is named Deborah, and ironically or not, according to this article, Deborah drives a school bus for the Rice Lake School District in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's uh, psychologically really interesting and something to unpack for professionals, but we don't have time to do that today. But it is interesting because in this article, I mean, here's an example of some of the bylines. Quote, unquote, never before seen pictures of Patterson's mom, exclamation point. And then the article goes on to talk about how she used to be platinum blonde and she dyes her hair brown. And there are pictures of her getting into the school bus, which she keeps in front of her house. So I think the idea that they're treating family members of people involved in this case like in this sort of tabloid manner is something weird. It's literally the way that you talk about A-list celebrities. And if somebody is dating somebody new, like it's so weird in this situation, especially for somebody that literally is not involved in any part of this crime at all, other than giving birth to the perpetrator. Right. And again, I mean, Jake was a 22-year-old man. So it's he was not a child. He was not living at home. I understand people's need to look at the family. What kind of environment was he raised in? I mean, those are always questions people have when it comes to notorious crimes. But that being said, based on everything we've learned, 
there was nothing sinister going on at home. And Jake hadn't been living with his parents since he was 18. So that's four years that he was on his own. It's it's a lot more difficult to hold parents accountable for the actions of adults as opposed to teenagers living at home. It's just different. Jake is going to spend the rest of his life in prison, and Jamie is being raised by her aunt in a loving home. In August of 2019, the Kloss family home, the home Jamie had grown up in, was demolished. In 2019, Jamie Kloss went to the Wisconsin State Capitol, where she received the Hometown Hero Award in honor of her bravery. And those close to the family have said in interviews that she's doing well at school and spending time with friends and her family. And while there was one aspect of this case that ended relatively happy with Jamie being found alive, one question remains, and that's motive. Why did Jake do this? How can someone go from having no criminal record, no history of violence whatsoever, to doing something like this? Yeah, that's the golden question. How how and why and where did this stem from? Because I there I think everyone has the same question that I have that's still like why the why was never answered I mean yes he said he saw her and he knew that she was the one who was going to take but why why were you going to take someone in the first place what was going on there I mean even just sitting here and trying to wrap my head around it I have no idea why anyone would want to take any child you know I just I I don't know I don't know what was going on in his head I really wish I did though yeah there were no signs at all you don't see crimes of this nature with someone that has zero history well I, I don't even think I have words for it you know I've always thought back to it I just, I never saw it. I never saw this coming. I mean, this just goes to show you really don't know anyone, no matter how close they are. And you know, I didn't grow up with him, but I mean, I hugged him on Christmas Eve. This is not what I expected. I purposefully tried to detach because it was so emotionally devastating. I thought talking about it I had moved on from some of like the anger and the like sick feelings it gave me, but it, it didn't. Um, It makes me sick to know that I was in the same room as him and she was there and there were no signs. There was nothing I could do. Not, not a psychologist. I have no degree in psychology, but I just have this fascination for it. And I honestly can't even begin to put a diagnosis on this it just I don't even think there's one box I think he's just got a multitude of issues but the bigger question would be where do they stem from it definitely puts a completely different perspective on the rest of your life and how how much you trust people and how much maybe you even second guess the people around you even at that, you've, you know, I've hugged him and he was capable of this. Like, how about what other people that I've carried longer conversations with or went up to coffee with, like, what are they capable of? It makes you 
second guess everyone around you. All right. Well, huge thank you to Kendra for being our first degree guest this week. If you have a story to tell and you're listening, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group by searching the first degree in the search bar. We're talking about all things true crime and stick around because we're going to kill some time and talk about Robert Fuller. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not, but not that close. close. Happy Garbage Man Day. Sources for today's episode include court documents, Wisconsin DOJ files, CNN, KOB4, the Associated Press, and as always, our first degree guests are always our largest source. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. Now, I want to make a disclaimer that we are recording this on Sunday, three days before we usually air our podcast, because we're going to be talking about what Billy has been up to over the past week. And I don't know if anything is going to change by the time we actually air this podcast. Right, Billy? Yeah. No, a lot could change. Definitely. So do you want to give us just kind of a rundown of what you've been up to and you've been in Palmdale um, for a couple days? Just give us give us a rundown of everything that's going on. You know, it actually started a little bit. I don't know if she is a a listener or not, but it started with a a uh, message that I got over Instagram from somebody that said that this and I'll read it to you. It says this young man is named Robert Fuller. He was my student years ago. Yesterday, he was found deceased. He was hanged from a tree in front of City Hall in our town of Palmdale, California. Local news and sheriff's department declared his death a suicide before he was even removed from the tree, let alone before a cause of death uh, could be determined or autopsy could be conducted. Robert was a great student in my class with an infectious smile and warm sense of humor. I don't know I'm allowed to ask this, but I'm wondering if you can use your platform in the crime community to help bring awareness to Robert's death and lack of an investigation. My heart is breaking for his family, and I'm not sure what else to do. So I had heard uh, about it right at the same time that she sent this. So I started digging into it, and I heard a quote, and I still didn't know where Palmdale was, and I heard a quote from the uh, sheriff's department saying there are no cameras in the area. And I said, that just can't be if it's in the middle of a of a park in front of City Hall. So I looked up where Palmdale was. It was going to take an hour and a half from where I was in Burbank. And I said, all right, screw it. I went up there and I got there and it's a town square surrounded by all government buildings. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, now this is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to go look to see. There was one news camera crew there, and there was maybe about 30 people when I got there. And they were all gathered around the tree. And this was the tree that this young man was found hanging from. Um, There was a couple of his family members there. uh, There were candles that were lit um, underneath the tree. And I just started going. I, I walked right past the tree, and I just went to every 
building looking for cameras. And within five minutes, I found a camera. And it was about 100 yards away uh, from the tree. It had a pretty decent sight line of anybody that'd be walking around. And again, you're not looking for exactly the, the tree itself, but you want to see if you could spot him and if you could spot uh, if somebody was with him or something or, or cars or whatever. Right. So that was on a, um, so I took a picture of that. It was called a place called Whispering Palms. Then I went to another business and I saw a ring cam. And then I went to another business, uh, which might be the best one, only 50 yards away. And it was a photography studio. And I'm thinking, and the camera looked like sophisticated. I'm thinking, if this guy's a photographer, he probably got a decent camera. Um, probably like, you know, did research on it. This one had a clear sight line to just left of where the tree was. And um, then I walked around. So I just started taking all these photos and calling out the sheriff's department because, A, you know, a lot of uh, places, if you don't get the photos and the, the videos within a certain time period, they get erased over. It used to always be 30 days, 30 days. But now with hard drive space and stuff and with the cameras actually being a lot better, it eats up hard drive space. So those uh, videos could, could be gone. He was found at uh, a little bit before 4 a.m. on Wednesday. They had not done any canvassing in the area on Friday when I got there because they said there were no cameras. So I just took those pictures and then sent them into um, and then uploaded them to Twitter, tagging the police department, tagging the mayor and tagging everybody and saying, you, you just lied to us. And um, so while I was doing that, there were other people that were asking me, what are you doing? Because I don't have a film crew with me. And I'm just a guy that's walking around taking pictures of buildings. So I started talking with them. You know, there's a fire department across the street. I asked them, do you guys have any cameras? They said, no. Um, they wouldn't tell me who the um, uh, the responding EMTs were, unfortunately. But they, they gave me a form to fill out to get the, to get the, um, the response uh, and get the, the report. Uh, there was just a lot of stories going on um, uh, that he was not, his family was there. His family was saying he was not despondent. He never, ever talked about uh, being depressed or anything like that. His, um, you know, friends were there. I met a few of his friends uh, and it was just, everyone was angry and upset and bewildered that the police would do that. And the police were nowhere to be found too. There was just a, a bird up in the air and that's it. So, um, I mean, the little that I have heard about this, cause there's not really that much in the media right now. Right, Billy. And it's like, it's people like you that are really trying to stir things up and to get the police's attention and to call them out. I, I let me tell you something. I was, once the vigil started, you know, it, it had turned dark. The vigil started. There's a gazebo that is probably 30 feet away from where the tree was is and the um there was a vigil there his friends were talking and everything and i'm looking around and there were no uh news crews there and i was just like i was embarrassed i was embarrassed for the media that they some of them had showed up for the press conference but then they had left and i still thought that this is a, a, an incredibly large story that should be uh be reported on and nobody was there doing it so you know i uh, you know stayed for that and then it was uh it was about 11, about 11, I think I, I, um, I left and it was still going. People were, were still talking about things. And, um, I, I just got a sense that they were not going to do anything. Looking at the sheriff's department's Twitter, 
They had not said anything about that they found a black man hanging from a tree in the, in the city hall park, uh, the, you know, right underneath the American flag. They had not said anything about that. They were they had actually posted a a, a picture of a dog trying to find a dog's owner. I saw that. Oh my god! Yeah, and they had not mentioned it on any of their social feeds. And I said, "There's there's something just." incredibly wrong here i don't know what happened but the way that they are they are doing this is just saying uh this is wrong i found a source that said that you know they they called it a suicide before he was even cut down from the tree yeah that is fucked up and the uh so i tweeted the mayor the mayor tweets at me saying they said that there were no cameras in the park and i said no they said there were no cameras in the area all right that was your sheriff that did that the mayor then deletes his Twitter altogether. It's completely dark. And is he yeah. like an active Twitter user? Not really, but you know, but he, I mean, had he, like was, three, he had like under four hundred followers. But he's yeah. still he was still tweeting every now and then, and it's not just a coincidence that he deleted his Twitter. Right no, because <laughs> right after tweeting at me, and I called him out, and then he deleted his Twitter, and I was just like, "Well, why Is are she- you?" And then, and then, um. The next morning, he's back up on Twitter, and oh. he's throwing he's throwing the sheriff's underneath the bus, and saying, "You know what? We want the attorney general to come in and investigate this." The sheriff's it took the sheriff's three days to canvass the area for footage, which was which was after I called him out on it, and it's like, and everybody, you know, I listen, people were yelling at him too at, at the press conference, and they were they actually said at the press conference, "There's no there's no um, uh, cameras there," and he was all about just doing this attorney general thing. And he showed me a letter that they wrote to the attorney general. I was like, why are you not tweeting this out to your followers? You're answering me in a tweet. Right. So he said, well, I don't really know how I'm not, I'm not used to Twitter or whatever. And then, so now he did that. So it's a small victory that at least the government uh, is now saying the sheriff's department screwed up. Now, this is the same government whose city manager actually got up and said, we initially said it was a suicide. We should have said it's a possible suicide. And then he also said, can we please stop using the word lynchings? And everyone's like, mm-hmm. hell no, you know? So it seems like they are at least trying to do something right and uh, bring in the attorney general. But you know, time is of the essence in this thing in terms of getting the footage. I tried contacting all the businesses that I saw, and it wasn't just the ones that were around the park. There were also ones on, you know, whenever a kid goes missing, you see that they canvas every Well, you want to track their place. path. Like, and you want to see, exactly. Yeah. yeah, if he was walking around with a different person or... I mean, you're obviously going to be able, I just think it's fucking bullshit. It's 2020. And to say that there are no cameras around is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like our entire lives are being surveillanced every second of every day. So that is a crazy statement to make. Yeah. And they came back and then they said, well, we meant there was no cameras um, in the park at city hall, which is, which is a little nuts because how you don't have cameras at your city hall. And somebody was just like, yeah, well, that, now they just gave it up to, to and said, you know, we don't have cameras at City Hall. Now we can do whatever we want to the City Hall, you know, because it's how do you not protect your your employees and everything? You have, people have cameras at their houses and you have the, the City Hall and the fire department with all the hundreds of thousand dollars worth of, uh, of equipment. They don't have cameras. So uh, but I did find the cameras and found the cameras in the surrounding businesses and then logged them and um 
and then so just going through the footage or what's happening now. You know what? I, I don't know. Uh, I hope they are, but I contacted the whispering palms, which is the first one that I saw. They, I contacted them, uh, just have to leave a message. Uh, there was no other, uh, phone number. Same thing with the digital, uh, uh photography studio place. And it's just, you know, I'm going to, you know, it was on a Friday night and then it was Saturday and they weren't answering. There's nobody there today. going to hit them up first thing tomorrow and make sure that the stuff is happening and, and maybe even go back up there. You know, and one of the things that, that happened, um, you know, we were originally going to, uh, record for the first time we were going to social distance, but we were going to record this week, uh, together for the first time since the COVID started. But I had to tell you guys that I, I could not social distance when I was there. Uh, I'm, I'm interviewing people and I'm showing them the, the, you know, they're asking me, well, what are you seeing? And I'm showing them the things and the people are shaking my hands. I'm not going to not shake somebody's hand who just lost their cousin to the, and it was just like, all right, well, you know what, this is it, you know? So no mask, just, just had to do it. I'm going to get, I'm going to quarantine myself. I'm going to get tested in, uh, on Wednesday at Dodger stadium. Question. You've had quite. Oh, go ahead, Alexis. Yeah. No, I'm curious about. So, if you talk to Robert's cousin, do they have a a theory? Like, are there white supremacists in the area? Has there been violence against people of color before in this area? Like, what if it's suspicious, which it seems to be? Very. What do they think happened? I mean, are are people throwing theories out there? What do you think? Why yeah. are they being, I don't know, just what did you glean from people who were there? Yeah. There's a, there's a big history of, of white supremacy up there. Uh, the, the teacher, his teacher actually sent me a bunch of articles and um, about things that have happened in Antelope Valley uh, that, are, that are pretty bad. And it's not, a, it's not a good place. There's a lot of that up there. There's that. There's also a... Um, uh, so some of the theories are this, that he was walking to go to the 7-Eleven uh, through the park. Uh, there's another theory, you know, and that's why he would have been in the area. There was, somebody said that. Uh, there was one theory that for some reason they had cordoned off the gazebo. They put police tape around the gazebo. Who's that? Why is there police tape around the gazebo? Um, the, the police did. And okay. why, you know, so there's a theory that he was actually found beaten that or that something in the gazebo. There, yeah. That was the crime scene there. And, um, he was, you know, so there was just a lot of things that were, uh, that were happening, but as far as, as a history of, of white supremacy activity in Antelope Valley, absolutely. And then, you know, the story came out that 12 days earlier, about 60 miles away, a, another black man was found hanging in public. And, uh, you know, then even though that had happened two weeks prior, everyone was just like, what the hell? And that was, what was just coming out. Well, they, I did, also they waited heard 12 that days since, to do an autopsy. Yeah. I heard that since you were there and I don't remember where I saw this, it could have been Facebook that a pregnant woman was found hanging from a tree as well. And what? I can't remember where it was recently. Yeah. A pregnant black woman. Holy shit. And, but my, my question, so it's like, I, I understand there are a lot of variables happening, whether it's just like depression or, or violence. Like it is a very mysterious time for this to be happening. And right. another question though I have about Robert being found there, A, how did, if, if he did take his own life, how did no one see that? And if somebody else took it, 
how did nobody see that? Like it's in this, this, I saw the footage and it's in that open square in front of the city hall. How do you like, how did everybody miss either scenario is the mystery. Was this supposed to have happened in the middle of the night? Like they found him at 4am. You said Billy. Yeah. They found him at 4am. So the idea is that it happened late at night, late, late, late at night. Um, obviously this, this park, uh, is uh, a, there, there are homeless in the park? Uh, I try to I try to track down any of the, the homeless that were there, but once there was a lot of people in the park, I think you know some of the homeless um, went to go find someplace else to hang out. Uh, and yeah, that's the idea: is that it happened, you know, around probably th- two a.m., three a.m. on a on a Wednesday evening or, or a Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning. So that's why nobody saw it. So anything that happened, you know. All right. Well, we're gonna have to uh, keep you guys posted on what happens because there's limited limited information now, right, Billy? There's not much information going on right now. And by the way, that that uh, woman who was uh, the pregnant woman that was hanged that was actually in South Africa. Oh, that's right. But still, yeah. But st- you know, I, I it's know. just like yeah. fucking it's horrid. very sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. It's very it's eerie. I've actually never heard of a pregnant woman hanging herself someone pregnant like that's unusual so it does make you wonder of, of the, the, the idea of hanging you know hanging you know we i look when i was doing that Re- rebecca's a house show we, we talked about hanging and how many suicides are actually done by hanging and 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 then hanging in public and then um you know it's just it's not something that 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 occurs with much frequency you know there's a right. lot of people that commit suicide in america uh, a disturbingly large amount, but uh, when it goes hanging and then hanging in a public space, that's something that needed to be, at the very least, uh, uh, looked into and put yeah. out in the public. And then what the sheriff's office did is they just wanted it to go away and hope nobody noticed, and nobody just, noticed until people started, <laughs> you know, going on social media about it. Well, it's really good what you're doing, Billy, because I mean, number one, you're getting the word out, but you're educating also everybody else and what the hell is going on because obviously the media is not uh, taking hold of it or giving a shit. So, um, I mean, that's the kind of work that needs to be done right now. So, thanks. I mean, and, you know, I think that it's also, it's getting possibly overshadowed by what happened in Atlanta. And because Atlanta had video of these cops shooting this guy that was, that was, that had, you know, passed out at a drive-through at a Wendy's. Um, they're going to run with that story. We know how TV news works, you know, and the, just the visuals for that. But anybody, at least in Southern California, I was I was actually very dismayed um, that you know, like, sort of whenever I always like to prop up the media, and I was just like, why is the media not covering this thing uh, in the way that they should? Well, well, hopefully they will. They will, and um, we will keep you guys posted on with updates in our other future killing times until there's a least better idea of what actually transpired. Right. Okay. How do we end this? Yeah, we don't want well, to call it. <laughs> Let's not call we're gonna, it. We're going to call it. Time of death, 1821, and we will keep you posted. Beep. <laughs>